Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive politics has a lot to offer the modern world. Uh, I'm your host today, uh, Stephanie Lloyd, and we're going to be Brexit focused this week, which I think is a surprise Shock. to literally no, no we one. we never are. I'm joined by Progress Chair Ali McGovern uh, and Rania Ramley, who is the newly elected Chair of Labour Students uh, and also was a superstar this weekend and spoke to the rally for the People's Vote. So if we look back on last week, when the House of Commons wrapped up on Friday afternoon, Sky News correspondent Kate McCann remarked it was a bit strange that politicians would be off until Monday lunchtime. But while MPs weren't actually sitting in the chamber on Saturday, there was a lot of politics going on outside. The Put It to the People march attracted over a million people from across the country, according to official figures. Uh, And we had Tom Watson on the stage. Uh, we were there with our Labour Say placards, uh, Stop Brexit, Save Jobs, all very important things. It is, although I have to say um, it amused me. that I saw a photo of me and Wes stood with our... Wes Streeting, l- wonderful MP for Ilford Indeed. North. Uh, I, Wes and I were stood with the Labour Say banner in the march and there's a picture of me and him on one of the placards but they cut the top line off, so it says Brexit save jobs. Yeah, I did see that. I was <laughs> and like, I was like no, 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 the opposite of that, <laughs> which made me laugh. But anyway, it was really, really good because we had a lot of people there. We uh, did. There was actually, there was quite a, a lot of local Labour parties who had brought their, like, traditional March banners down, yeah. which was really lovely. And I uh, think Hoban and St Pancras grabbed me to say, can you come and have a photo with our banner? And it was really brilliant and nice. And there was a lot. But, but, but we were in the, really we were in the cheap seats march, though, weren't we, Alison? Oh, we yeah. were all yeah. the way some, halfway back through the march. Some of my <laughs> other colleagues had like, and presumably you, Rania. Yeah, you was at the very, <laughs> very front. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was. It was It was very good. It was good fun. I didn't realise how long it would take to get there, even though we were at the front. It was a bit, a bit mad, but... Oh, forgive me if I have no sympathy for you. <laughs> I know, it took we, us three and a half hours to get to where you started. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we were like stood there literally for two hours and we kept thinking, Wes kept saying to me, do you think those flags are moving? Are those flags moving? Yeah. Do you think they're moving? And no, they weren't. I only got one piece of signal because obviously when you've got a million people in one there, place, there was no phone mobile signal, signal does not exist. Oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't have internet. But I got, I got, I got one message throughout the entire time I was on my, I was on that march when it came through, which is the point where I was so hungry. I thought I was going like me and Wes had spent about twenty minutes saying how hungry we were on the demo, and I got one message through from a friend 
which was a picture of her who'd finished the march because she was at the front with you, Rania, in Pizza Express. Outrageous. That was the only picture Outrageous. I got for the entire thing. But Outrageous. How, I mean, how was it though? Because obviously you spoke, I mean, what a sizable crowd of which to speak to. <laughs> mm. I mean, what, what were you saying? What was it like? What was the atmosphere like? Um, it was crazy. We didn't. I didn't realise how how big it would be. I mean, we got onto the stage. We couldn't really couldn't really see the end of the people we were speaking to. Um, it was really good. It was amazing to see the number of young people there. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of it was young people who weren't necessarily involved in party politics, who wouldn't have necessarily come to anything otherwise, um, but were have just been totally galvanised by Brexit and by the impact that they think it's going to have on on our generation and it was just amazing to see sort of the passion and the number of people there because mm, i saw a picture of you i saw a little video of you on the stage <laughs> but uh, i mean like there was just a row of young people on the stage mm. all giving kind of different reasons as to you know why as you say for their generation it yeah. was such an important thing i mean what were some of the comments what, what was your kind of take home for people I think for me, this whole debate has been has become a lot more than about Brexit. I think it has become this thing about our values and what we see as the future of our country. Um, I think for me, a lot of what I spoke about was the fact that this debate and Brexit has been led by posh white men mm. and they have been at the forefront of it. And Brexit, if we leave the EU and however we leave the EU and if we leave it under Theresa May's deal, we're going to end up in a situation where um, we become closed off from the world. Populism is on the rise across the world. And the only way we're going to deal with that is by standing up and saying no and mm. taking that fight on. And people say that our country is divided, but we're not going to deal with that or change that by pushing through a deal that doesn't please anyone and makes us all poorer mm. um i think that was for me was the main sort of take-home message from the day it was it was i i felt it was quite a a young march mm, in comparison to to so, I, I think you I know think i even think compared to the last one it felt no i know yeah because i think there's been a, a bit of a stereotype of the um of the stop brexit campaign that it's kind of like middle class mm. pe- like like slightly older people um, my mum always says, you know, she hates it when people talk about the Leave voters being all baby boomers. She's like, I'm a baby boomer and I voted for me. <laughs> but and and actually um one of the, one of my other MP colleagues was joking about how like all of the like Sainsbury's and Waitroses in the country were empty on Saturday because everyone was <laughs> at the march. But actually it was it was quite a lot younger than it, mm. I thought it was gonna be, to be honest. And I thought that was really, really interesting mm. because clearly People feel strongly about it, Ronnie, as you were saying, like it's mm. become more than just about yeah, Europe, absolutely. isn't it? This is not about the technicalities of the European Union mm. here, is it, anymore? No, absolutely not. And I think for sort of our generation for a long time, we've seen the sort of disparity between politics and the things we actually care about. And I think for the first time with Brexit and with this whole debate, that those two things have come together. And now we see the link between politics and parliament and government and the fact that that's going to impact us for generations to come. And I think that is one of the really good things to come out of this debate. And uh, I mean, we'll get into this, but what did you make of uh, the pictures coming out of Checkers at the weekend? You see this <laughs> Theresa May invited entirely old white men to checkers to decide the future of our country i mean i'm just i'm not surprised anymore i think this whole it's just everything about this debate is so out of touch it's so out of touch and these people claim to be representative of the will of the people when they're the absolute opposite that's this is not what people voted for and it's not what, what's going what's going to take us forward no i think that's true i think that's totally true i mean my other favourite part, though, of any demo is the sheer level of hilarious placards of which you get to see on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you tweeted one, didn't you, Alison, that you decided was your winner of the march. So Matthew Doyle of the Labour Party Irish Society 
tweet had a placard that said that this was just like when Brian McFadden had overestimated the possibilities for him as a solo artist and left Westlife. So this is a joke that Ronnie will not understand. No, no, no. <laughs> as we discovered when he touched this in the office, so half of the office were like, no, no, no. And they were like, we kind of know who Westlife is. But I have were. to say, I have to say... But for Despite, anybody mildly just, over the age of 26, that is a brilliant joke. Yeah, but and and as was evidence, because I, I think this is literally the most liked tweet I've ever <laughs> tweeted. Not nothing, nothing about any particular budgetary analysis or, you know, insightful political comment. It's just like a joke about Westlife. Yeah, but it's insightful political commentary and jokes about Westlife. Yeah. This is it. It's about making it relevant. So so well done, Matthew Doyle. Um <laughs> But yeah, so as you say, kind of over the weekend, there were lots of rumours about what what might happen this week, whether the Prime Minister would get her deal through, whether she would remain Prime Minister at the end of it. So, I mean, Alison, what do you kind of, what do you think about the Cabinet splits over Brexit? As you say, we saw her kind of, you know, hauling loads of men over to Chequers to try and get it through. Where What is the kind of lay of the land now? Well, it's really interesting because on Saturday evening, um, I was actually with my sister because it was my sister's birthday of the weekend. <laughs> happy birthday, happy Alison, birthday Laura McGovern. <laughs> I was watching the the Sunday paper from pages come in and um, the Sunday Times had a big splash about the potential for challenges to the Prime Minister. And, you know, to be honest, my instinct was, well, maybe they will, but my instinct was remembering back to previous kind of attempted uh, pushes of this kind. And... You know, I think that you've got to have a really compelling candidate and you've got to have a really compelling reason because in the end you can change the person at the top of a party. But if you haven't dealt with the fatal flaw within that party, then there's very little point in changing the leader. And I think that's a story that has repeated itself over the past decade in British politics. So did did the the organisers of this coup, whoever they were, I mean, not an expert on the Tory party, but did the organisers of this have a compelling candidate? Not really. They had David Liddington, who most people outside politics won't really know mm. that well. He's, you know, accepted as kind of the deputy prime minister, but m- not really in the John Prescott mould, more in a kind of like offstage kind of organiser of internal politics mode. A man, a man who is not so famously but very much so not even a fan of gay rights that was the thing I tweeted that this morning and the amount oh, really? of people that came back to me and were like oh, I had no idea they were like but I I just thought he was quite good on Brexit and I was like there are other options though when you become a prime minister so indeed so there we go nobody really knows much about uh David Liddington to the mm. extent that I don't think even think I knew that mm. Steph to be honest um and and their other candidate uh was Jeremy Hunt who, you know, is obviously seems to be giving indications that he's quite ambitious. But that leads me to the second problem, which is you aren't going to resolve the contradictions in the Conservative Party without with a new leader. You need a new way of resolving the fundamental decision between the ERG who want the hardest of hard extreme forms of Brexit with very little economic relationship between us and the European Union. And frankly, the majority of conservative mps who think that that is crazy and very damaging and they they've got to find a way to deal with that and if they 
don't, then changing the prime minister won't be much help. And that's basically what we've seen so far, that that those efforts to get rid of her um, haven't worked. Now, some in the Conservative Party here in Westminster are still talking about the fact that she may offer to the ERG her resignation in exchange for their votes, basically saying, I will go if you'll vote for my deal. But it doesn't it doesn't seem that likely that those on the other side, the kind of people in the Conservative Party who worry about hard Brexit would want to accept that as a compromise because they know that a new prime minister might well come from the ERG wing, given their members, and that there'd be no guarantees that's, that their point of view on Brexit would be respected in that situation. So it would be easy to be gleeful about the state of the Tory party if the consequences for our country weren't so staggeringly bad. I was going to say, yeah, if they weren't in charge of everything of which happens in our country, I would be I would be somewhat more chirpy. Riley, we've, we've also seen the kind of DUP have come out just before we started recording this podcast to say that they're still not going to back the deal I mean, what do you think? What do you think could be a very? What do you think is an important position for the Labour Party to take in this situation when we're at such deadlock at the moment? I think for a while now it's becoming more and more clear that the Labour Party just needs to come out fully in favour of people's vote. I think when the government has failed to come to a deal, when the government is falling apart, and this whole project, we have to remember that this whole project started from Tory divisions, from ideological splits within the Tory party, between people who are not going, whose communities are not going to be absolutely devastated by Brexit and by the consequences of that. So I think the Labour Party, if we claim to represent these communities, which will be absolutely devastated, um, by Brexit, we really we we just have to come out in favour of people's vote. Now, I don't think there is any other option. Theresa May's deal is not it's not going to bring the country together. It's not going to get through Parliament. Um, and I also don't understand this idea that going for a second referendum, going for a people's vote, is defying the will of the people. I think if you claim to be representative of the will of the people, then you can't be scared of more democracy. We're just asking the question. A different, it is a different question, but we're just asking the same people a question. And I think if you still believe in Brexit and if you still believe that's the best way forward for the country, um, then I don't see why this is a problem. I just I don't think that argument works anymore. And what would you say to people who would say um, that just that's a failure of British politics because you know the British public gave MPs an instruction, and you know it's it's the duty of people to carry out that instruction. I think then, and I think we need to think back to what the question was, and I think the, the fundamental question that was asked in 2016 was wrong. You can't ask a binary choice between two fantasies and expect people to come to a solution that's going to bring the country together. We we had leave or remain, but no one knew what either side actually meant. And people that voted to leave the EU voted to leave for many, many different reasons, and those things aren't necessarily compatible. And I think if you... The, the country gave the government a mandate to come up with a deal that united all those people and brought them together. Um, and they failed to do that. They haven't succeeded in doing that. That's very clear. Um, so they they just haven't fulfilled the mandate that we've given them. We did not give them a mandate um, to let us crash out the EU. We didn't give Theresa May a mandate um, to push forward this deal that pleases no one. Um, so I, I just, to be fair, the one electoral time she did try and go and get a mandate for her deal, she'd lost her majority yeah, exactly. in Parliament from the country. And I think, I think I agree with Rania in lots of that sense of... When it was such a, when it was such an opaque choice of what you were mm. voting for, it then becomes a thing of well, yes, there has been a failure of democracy. Like right now, there has been a failure, and I think to say that there isn't, I think, is the most dangerous thing for the future of our democracy. And I, and I think having the ability to go back and go, what we did was wrong. 
what the question wasn't clear. Even you, you gave an indicative vote. Here is now what the reality of that situation is. Do you want this to happen or do you not? And actually, the thing I thought was really positive over the weekend was uh, when Keir Starmer um, was doing the Sunday politics programs. And he was really, really, he was he's becoming even clearer every day now in terms of his stance on a people's vote. It certainly appears anyway. So I think a lot of people think that whatever the consensus is in the House of Commons, that it should be ratified by the public. Mm. It's really interesting. I did, um, I did uh, John Pienaar's radio program on Sunday with Dan Carden, mm. for, who's in the shadow cabinet, um, who has the DFID brief. And, you know, Dan's a supporter of Jeremy Corbyn and you know, obviously um, doing so from the point of view of the shadow cabinet. And he was he was also quite clear that he felt that the best situation would be for, he talked about a credible leave option, you know, the kind of leave option that, that the Labour Party could, could go with, which, you know, is broadly kind of customs union single market, but that it would be better, whatever the credible leave option was, for that to be put to the public for, for it to be agreed I think basically Rania because most people I think agree with you that that it was a kind of fantasy whatever you want was put to people in 2016 and in any case it's been three years since yeah, exactly. then mm-hmm. um, and and people are entitled to say well, we started this process, maybe we should finish it. You couldn't even vote in the first referendum, could no, you? No, I couldn't. I was too young to vote the first time round. How old does that make you feel? <laughs> I mean, my hair is very much going grey these days, but yeah, way what? to go, Rania. Thanks for making me feel it too. Um, but I also think that when we think about democracy, democracy is not a one-off event. Like we can't, so much has happened in these three years. So much has changed. The Everything that was offered by both camps in 2016 is no longer relevant. And it's been proved that it's not going to, it's not going to happen. Um, and I think if you actually believe in democracy, but you see democracy as a process and something that's continual and it's democracy is a relationship between the government and the people. It's not a one-off event. Um, and I think that that is one of the most powerful arguments for me for, um, as well as the fact that I'll get to vote, finally. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So we're just going to leave that there. We're just going to take a small break now. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about all of the voting that's going to be happening in the House of Commons this week. So we'll see you again after this short break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about Work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. So, Alison, you're not going to be leaving the, the House of Commons tonight until, until very, very late. So... Uh, there's going to be votes tonight about 10 o'clock or so, they say. Correct. And you'll be voting on an amendment that would give backbenchers the ability to determine the business of the House on Wednesday. So why is this so important? And will this is does, does this give us the chance to lead to kind of indicative votes? Uh, and what does that really mean? Okay, so people forget, actually, why the House of Commons is having votes on Brexit at all. Because the Prime Minister's original plan was for the House of Commons to have no say. I mean, we weren't even supposed to have a have a vote on the deal at all. But it was the intervention of Dominic Grieve um, and the winning um, of his uh, amendment that would mean that we would vote on the deal and that we would also have neutral motions put forward on Brexit so that we could pass further amendments on the process. And what an intervention that has turned out to be. I mean, um, when we won that vote last year to get um, to get this process, we actually won it by three. So if you you know we wouldn't we would not have had any of this um, uh, purchase mm. on on the Brexit process if it, if it wasn't for that. So never underestimate how important winning a single vote can be. Anyway, so um, that said, we there's been rumours like flying about about whether the Prime Minister might bring back another meaningful vote on the Brexit deal itself this week. If she does so, she'll have to take on the Speaker who said that he's not prepared to have meaningful vote after meaningful vote if the substantial proposition isn't altered because the rules of the House of Commons, actually like most democratic bodies... You can't just keep asking you can't the just, same question. Exactly, you can't just keep going round and round on the same point. So that could all happen. But today, um, uh, or rather, this will go on Tuesday. So on Monday, <laughs> we'll be having um, a uh, vote on votes on a neutral motion, which we um, required under the Withdrawal Act to make sure that the House of Commons could continue to express its view. And a group of backbenchers, of which I am one, is putting forward an amendment to this motion. So the the motion itself just says that that the House of Commons has discussed the issue, but that we're we're putting forward an amendment to basically say that um, uh, on Wednesday that we ought to be able to have priority on the House of Commons order paper for motions put forward by backbenchers by a member. Now, this is important because most people might not know that in the House of Commons, government business always takes priority. So um, we are creating a new opportunity for backbench motions to be heard and debated and voted on. And that in and of itself um, is new, but I don't think it is as controversial as it might once have been, in part because we do have backbench business now these days. We didn't used to have any business at all put on the agenda of the House of Commons by backbenchers. Um, it's only since 2010 that we've had backbench business at all. So this is a newer innovation again because it's using the standing orders, or rather suspending one of the standing orders to make sure that it's not just that we have um, a debate on issues brought forward by backbenchers, but also that they take priority over government. So what do you business? think are some of the amendments that people are going to bring forward so, tonight then? 
so tonight we will have um, an, this amendment brought forward to eff effectively um, book further time on Wednesday for the potential of discussion of what future options might be. I'll come back to that in a second. And then there's a whole range of other uh, other amendments that have been tabled. For example, the Liberal Democrats have put down um, an amendment saying that, um, you know, there should be uh, a public vote on the Brexit deal, which whilst it's, you know, decent enough, um, people I don't think will be inclined to vote for because it's a Liberal Democrat amendment. Um, there's also uh, a front bench um, amendment from Keir Starmer, which off, off the top of my head, I can't quite remember uh, what it says. But equally, for similar reasons, it tends to be the backbench amendments that have a chance of passing. Mm. Simply, and that's very much what's happened previously. Yeah, in this simply debate, because they're a collaboration between Labour backbenchers and Conservative backbenchers. And if the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats and the Nationalist parties decide to support those backbench initiatives, then we can win. It tends to be those initiatives that win, that win rather than. Um, rather than uh, ones that are put forward by the front benches. So that's what we'll do tonight. If we get um, that agreed and we get some time on Wednesday, then we'll have to see whether there's a way of bringing forward votes that might point to point to a particular future. If the Prime Minister's deal cannot be agreed, then is what there is support in the House for. And that's that's what we will be discussing over the next 24 to 48 hours. Um, I should also say... Um, that one other thing that we might hear is um, a process for indicative votes that the government brings forward. So they might decide to try and curate some sort of voting process for the House of Commons to indicate what it's in favour of. Now, the last time the government did this, um, it was on House of Lords reform, and it notably went quite badly because it was a free vote. There was basically a consensus against all the options. And that was sort of okay with House of Lords reform because we could all model on through with House of Lords as it is. You it's know, not going to be okay with this one. It's not okay. with. So we will have to watch that process very clearly. And I know that there are backbenchers on all sides of the House who have their concerns about allowing the process to be led by the government too much. So watch this space essentially so because this one when it comes to the indicative votes i find this one quite interesting because it's kind of the point of like how do you get to the stage where when the house is as deadlocked as it is you get to the kind of least worst option for everybody really like no one's gonna no one really wins in this situation anymore do they it's, it's how do you get to the bit where the majority of people can go i can compromise on that and that's how we do it but but you still have to do you still have to do it in terms of division so does it well, have to be these kind of to, to, binary options or can you go, right, if the, if if that doesn't pass, then this would be my second. Can you do any level of, so, kind of transferable votes? So um, to be decided, basically, there are various different options and arrangements. Um, and I mean, this is just like a proceduralist's dream, all of this discussion, because it's possible that we could have votes on the floor of the House over various different options. Um, it's also possible that there could basically be a ballot paper that gets voted on. We have a deferred division process. So if you want to have a vote at the House of Commons, but not have a formal division, you can also arrange what is called a deferred division, where we have pieces of paper um, that we, you know, put across 
or on. We also have a procedure where we can do preferential voting. So for chairs of select committees, we hold, you know, preferential votes where you put one, one, two, three, Mm. um, and it's an exhaustive ballot in that way. So basically that is the discussion of the next 48 hours and we'll see where we get to. In many ways, that's quite a complicated procedure. And if I were the government, I'm not sure I would, you know, I'd want to be quite careful um, in introducing more complexity to the process at this point but we are going to have to uh wait and see and how big do you think the speaker's role is going to be in all of this i mean we've seen him make some pretty sizable interventions i mean ronnie what what from someone who i mean obviously allison works day in day out in terms of the procedure and the detail of all of this and how it works and i mean i get lost half the time even trying to kind of keep up on, on some that of those on things. that i just want to say before you uh, ask Rania a question we should put a link uh, on the podcast to the paper on indicative votes that's been written by meg russell of the ucl constitution unit we will do that um it's it is pretty good and we'll give people a sense of the different questions involved and how you could structure a vote to come to a consensus oh excellent well if you want to read that that'll just if you just have a look in the the notes for this episode you'll be able to click through on that link there but yeah, Ronnie, I mean, obviously we saw the speaker make some pretty sizable interventions recently. For someone that doesn't spend all day every day, you are still a student, to be fair, um, kind of immersed in the detail of this and the understanding of the commons. I mean, how important do you think his role is going to be? What do you think is going to be the, you know, h- how much do you think this really cuts through to people? I think his his latest intervention did resonate with a lot of people in terms of the fact that Theresa May does seem to be going around in circles and doesn't things don't seem to be going anywhere um in terms of sort of his role and how I think a lot of people especially young people people that I've been campaigning with um for people's vote don't really know much about the ins and outs of the and the procedurals of procedures of parliament um I just think a lot of it um particularly to young people and the young people campaigning for people's vote um just comes across as very sort of in in into fighting very out of touch um and I think it's part of the reason why um things like the march but resonated with a lot of people because it was normal people young people who spoke like them who looked like them um going out there and saying that they wanted people's vote because this is going to impact our our life for generations to come and i think a lot of the time particularly in politics we can get bogged down um in things like procedures and um what's happening in parliament but we have to remember that there's a reason that people are so energized by this and there's a reason that people um feel so passionate about this and it's not it's not down to politicians necessarily it's down to the campaigners and the young campaigners who are out there campaigning for this in a way that relates to people so I think although the speaker's role is really important um, and his last latest intervention um, was interesting and resonated with a lot of people um, it does have to go further than that. Absolutely Alison any final words on what we think is going to happen this week? Well I think it's very unpredictable I have mainly started um, weeks in Westminster in a very different position than than what I've ended them. So it's very, very unpredictable and hard to call. I think two things. I think firstly, there will be a massive amount of frustration from people who are not um, engaged in the intricacies, as Serrania says, of Brexit processology, but who are engaged in the consequences. And whether that is you know, people trying to take business decisions or whether, you know, we're expecting also poverty figures out um, at the end of this week. I mean, we saw at the end of last week, a letter from the CBI and the TUC. Now they are, they are not natural 
pals, no, if we say it no. easily. So for Carolyn Fairburn and Francis O'Grady to feel like the time had come for them to take to the airwaves together and say whether it is, you know, big business perspective or, you know, grassroots union members perspective. We, this has got to end. We cannot flirt with no deal any longer. I thought that was an amazing and turn really, of events. And young kind of young trade unions have been really heavily involved in lots of this campaigning. I know you've been doing lots of work with both the GMB, but also community in yeah. terms of how that works. I mean, that must have resonated to people in terms of realising just the impact of that. No, absolutely. I think that has, and it's it's quite, it, it was, it's quite a shock at first when you think these two sort of organisations are so polarised, but it really just, when you really think about it, it really comes down to the fact that we are in a situation now where we are deadlocked, but also we're, we're deadlocked at a time where the country has so many other problems. Like mm. we, are, we have ignored so many things over this process when we've become embroiled in Brexit. Um, and I think it's also wrong to claim that getting to read like Theresa May's deal is not the end even if she was to pass yeah. it we, we just, it doesn't we've got still years and yeah, years exactly. and years of this mm. I mean trade deals take about seven to eight years mm. to pass and we've still got to do all of that and I just cannot imagine that British politics is really going to survive it in that good a shape but anyway I was just going to say so I think that the events in parliament will be quite unexpected and we don't really know what's going to happen but the impact um, I think will be quite frustrating. And I certainly feel um, extraordinarily angry about what ha- that which has been ignored and that which has been allowed to happen. I mean, I was in my surgery on Friday and you know, was dealing with stuff that is really, really important and important to me, particularly on DWP and what is actually going on with universal credit. Mm. But, I, you know, I, I will be dealing with that kind of whilst mainly consumed with Brexit processology. And for me, that is just a bit of a disaster. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. Um, we are we will have our kind of extra show, as always, that will come out on Friday. And we will try and unpick literally who knows what is going to happen this week. So we're going to try and weave you through that um, and give you a good explanation of where we land at the end of the week. But um, thank you both so much for coming in today. And we'll speak to you all soon. Thanks, Steph. been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was one in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer caroline crampton A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.